it's funny when you, I'm on, right? Good, okay. That one battery that didn't work scares me. Um, but uh, it, it's funny, you sit down and then all of a sudden you remember other things you wanted to say for announcements. Um, I, I just want to thank you as a church for your um, giving, uh, not only to the ministry on a, a weekly or basis or monthly, however you give, uh, but also for reaching out and giving uh, to the Ukraine Fund. Uh, that was quite something to see, over $7,000 raised uh, to help those in Ukraine that are in need. And uh, that will soon make its way through ABWE and onto the field to help those uh, that are in need that uh, we continue to pray uh, for what we see in Ukraine. I also want to acknowledge, I, I know that there are those, because we weren't able to have children right away, and then we have good friends that were never able to have children. And uh, so I want to acknowledge those. It's, it, for those, and they may be online, not here this morning or here, uh, that that can be tough. Uh, I mean, it's, it's great. We want to celebrate mothers. But uh, mothers and, and people who have that influence in our lives show up in different ways. Um, I can think of leaving home when I was young and uh, off to the States for a couple of years to work in a mission field. And there was a lady named uh, Ruth. And Ruth sort of took the place of mom for a while when I couldn't see my own mom and would give care and godly love to me. And uh, I think of other ladies. Uh, when Marjorie and I were first married, and we just lost that she was a mother to many, uh, Marion passed away 2020, right? And uh, Marion Salou. And she would pray for us. As a matter of fact, we have a, a very good friend who came to Canada from the Philippines who spent the last 30 years meeting with Marion weekly. And she would tell us, you know, she prays for your family every week. So I want to acknowledge, I know that there are ladies in the church who may not be able to have children, but fill and mentor and care for individuals in different ways. And so as we celebrate Mother's Day and all that mothers mean to us, we want to think of these women in our church who come alongside people, care for them, and encourage them too. Okay. Well, I was writing this week's message and thinking about it, and rewriting this week's message and thinking about it, and um, yes, that does happen. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't on a Sunday morning this time. Um, but uh, I, I came across one verse that came to mind. And I, I want you to tuck this verse away in the, in the back of your mind. And it's from Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. So as we move forward, I want you to hang on to that verse and, and keep that in your mind. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you um, as people who have just lived a week uh, full of distractions. Father, many of us have friends and relatives that are now battling with, with this COVID virus that seems to be endless Father, we're distracted by a war in a country on the other side of the world and the news and the atrocities. And Father, we, re we remember these people. We remember those that are suffering from war. We, we see images of shortages of food. We see line up in gas stations. We, we feel the pinch in our pocketbooks. But as we gather on this morning, as we gather to worship, as we gather to spend some time in your word, we ask that your spirit will help us to focus in on what you have for us this morning. To take those thoughts that would crowd out thoughts towards you, to take them out of our mind. May we rest in you this morning as we look to your word. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So I want to start off with a question this morning. Who do you let whisper in your ear? And I don't mean that as a romantic question, so Paul, do not be whispering to Marnie's ear. But who do you let whisper in your ear? 
What voices do you let speak into your life? And I think that's a serious question. Our society has become very anxious. It's become very anxious in, in, in many ways. And it's because people are no longer taught the truth. We're not taught logically to think things through. We're taught to live by our feelings. And, and I, I, I see that as an impossible task to build your life on what is always shifting sand. There's no such thing as absolute truth anymore. Everyone has their own truth. And what might be your own truth, what is good for you, well, that truth might not be my truth. It, it doesn't make me feel good. So that can't be my truth. My truth is, is different. Or, or I, I feel like this today. And, and that's how we build our life. And I cannot help see that that lack of truth has created a world of anxiety. A society that sits on edge all the time and, and, and full of rage. Recent study from Ipsos in, in 2020 says 50% say stress, and these are Canadian stats, 50% say stress has a negative impact on their, on their sleep patterns. 45% of employed Canadians say workplace stress has a negative impact on their home life. 29% have either sought or are seeking help from a therapist or counselor. 51% of Canadians agree that they are more cynical about things today than they used to be. There's another study, and it compares a time frame of about a decade. In 2013, there was an estimated 3 million Canadians, about 11.6% of the population aged 18 and older who identified with having a mood or an anxiety disorder. A decade later in 2022 in January, so earlier this year, they found that 36% of Canadians 18 and older now suffer from an anxiety disorder. That's three times in less than a decade. More than a quarter report that their disorders affect their life quite a bit or extremely. And in the previous 12 months, it has been very difficult for them. And of course, that was in the pandemic. I understand that. Basic activities and the ability to work are challenging for them. Becoming more informed about their disorders and adopting good sleep habits are common coping strategies. However, Engaging in other self-management strategies such as physical activity, exercise, meditative practices, developing a care plan are, are less common. In short, they learn about their disorder, but they struggle to do things that would help them to deal with it. Now, in no way am I discounting those who struggle with clinical anxiety disorder. I'll be the first to say the church has done a poor job with mental health and recognizing it. And they don't take it seriously. Too often we equate it with just, oh, you have a spiritual problem then, don't you? We don't say that to heart patients or diabetes, but we will say that to people that struggle with mental health. But thankfully, it's getting better. So if you're here this morning and you struggle with a mental health, please understand this, that we are here to pray for you we're not here to shame you. Matter of fact, there was one reformed evangelical of the past. He's revered by many. Charles Spurgeon suffered from depression. He struggled with that his whole life. So as a church family, we need to come alongside those in our family who struggle with mental health. That's part of caring for each other. That's part of carrying one another's burdens. Now, one book I found very beneficial is called Are You Really Okay? 
It's by Deborah, and I hope I say her last name right, Felitra, Felita. Um, it's worth the read. Whether you struggle with a mental health issue or not, she's a Christian, it's well written, and it's well done. And it will help you understand those in our family who do struggle. I'd also encourage you to take the time to look up Levi Lusco. He's a pastor in the States on the West Coast. His testimony is very encouraging and his struggle with anxiety. As is, you can find interviews with Louis Giglio from Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and his struggle with mental health. And finally, if you're in the congregation and part of our family and you're still struggling, we can connect you with some great Christian counselors who are trained to help you with anxiety and depression. So what was that verse I told you to remember? Anybody remember? Maybe I should have had you write it down. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This verse fits very well with where I want to go this morning in Philippians chapter 4. So if you're turning your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 9. Please note it didn't take us three years to go through the book of Philippians. Okay, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, as we look at those verses, remember, our context has not changed. We're still in the book of Philippians. We're still talking to a church that is meeting in a Roman enclave. They still suffer persecution. They still have unity issues. There's still some bickering in the church. They have their share of struggles. They still deal with false teachers just like we do. I mean, I can come up here on a Sunday morning and preach to you and trust that all goes well, but I know you can go online and find people that say the exact opposite thing. They dealt with false teachers in their congregation, in their communities too. And in the midst of that, in all the good that there was in the church of Philippi, they had their share of struggles. And to that church, toward the end of his letter, Paul pens these words. Do not be anxious about anything. Or you could say, stop being anxious. The same word that he uses there to tell them to stop being anxious, he used earlier in the book, earlier in that letter in chapter 2, verse 20, that was translated in a positive sense. In that sense, it was talking about Timothy's care and concern for the church. So we've got to make a distinguishment here. Okay, we're not to be anxious, but yet the same words used that it's okay for us to have care and genuine concern for someone's well-being. Hmm, how do we put that together? I think what Paul's talking about here is that we're not unduly concerned, that we're not filled with angst, anxiety, and worry. Matthew records for us in, in the Gospel of Matthew a whole section on anxiety uh, that Jesus addresses. And, and, and when Christ addresses that issue, um, it was prevalent in their day as it is in ours that people would feel anxious. They would worry about stuff. It's nothing new. Now, we don't have time to delve into the whole section of what Christ had said in Matthew 6. But I want to highlight one verse for us. Verse 34 of Matthew 6. So do not, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I think Charles Swindoll said it well when he wrote this. 
When we worry, we, we, are, we are preoccupied with distressing fears and burdens by the past, nervous about the present, and tormented by the future. We live in the realm of what-ifs. That is not healthy. I think that's what the sense when Paul pens this. I think that's the sense he has. Don't become preoccupied with the what-ifs. Don't focus on those things. But Paul doesn't end there. He, he, he gives some more advice to us. He gives us an antidote for those that find themselves anxious with worry. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Or give him all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. So I see these verses have a, a positive and a negative to them. On the positive inside, we're instructed to take all our cares, all our requests to Christ before the throne of God. Did you catch that? All your cares, all your concerns, take everything to Him. Scripture is clear. We serve and we worship a compassionate God. Remember our book, study from Ruth when I first came here? Remember the word has said? Has said is not merely an emotion or a feeling. Has said involves an action. And it's an action especially to one in need. It can be defined as a sense of love and loyalty. One that inspires merciful, compassionate behavior toward another. We have to remember, you and I are in need and it's God who shares his mercy God who gives compassion toward us. And he gives the compassion towards us, not just in the big things in life, but in the little things too. He wants to hear everything. I find it funny that we tell our kids that, right? When they're little, right? No, take it to God. That little boo-boo, Take it to God. Let's pray about that little scrape on your knee. Let's pray about the tests that you're going to have in school tomorrow. But where does it get lost in translation when we become adults? That God isn't concerned about those things. It says, take everything. Take your request to the Lord. The command do not be anxious is a negative command. It, it also denotes the idea that anxiety betrays a, a, a lack of trust in God's care. Not to be too blunt, but isn't that the heart of the issue? And aren't we in a constant mode of learning? A, a learning mode that God is in control and we can trust Him? It's reminiscent of, and you recall this story you can find it in Mark chapter 9. The disciples go out and, and they come across a father with a demon-possessed son. And they try to cast the demon out. And they're unsuccessful. Then Jesus comes along. And he tells the man, don't worry. Everything is possible with faith. Do you remember the response of the man? In Mark 9.24 we read this. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Do you ever feel that way? I'm to be honest, I do. There are days when anxiety sets in and concerns set in. Phone calls or emails come. And I have to remind myself that I can take it to God and trust him. God's in control. And I have prayed that many times in my life. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And if we're honest, we're in a constant learning of that truth. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Paul promises us that if we start 
with prayer with God that God will do his part. Look at verse 7. Our part is to pray. His part is this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or as the NLT translates it, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, the promise here is that we take all our concerns to him. In prayer, we thank the Lord for what he's doing in our lives. And God will give us peace. And, and not any peace. It, it's a peace that goes beyond what we can comprehend. A peace beyond human comprehension. Many of you know, we had a really tough march. And, and I can't explain when I look back how peaceful I was about it. By human standards, it should have thrown us into a loop. And we had people ask, well, what? And it's like, oh, God just gave a sense of peace in a very tough time in life. And I know many of you can say the same thing, that God meets his end and he gives us peace. But no, this peace is not for just anybody. We first have to be at peace with God to experience that peace. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's when we have peace with God that we can come before his throne. And when we take things before his throne, it's then that he gives us a peace that the rest of the world just can't understand. In our context, it's a peace that will guard our hearts and our minds against anxious thoughts. That's God's part. That's what he says he will do. Uh, we have a responsibility too. And I admit, this is harder for some than for others. I know some people that just be able to seem to trust God in everything. And anxious thoughts and anxiety just don't seem to be a part of their vocabulary. And the Lord bless them. I think that's great. But for others, and I would guess this is a lot of us, depending on the circumstances, depending on where we are in life, we might fall into the category where we say, you know what? I at times honestly struggle. I don't share that with people because it seems that makes me to be spiritually weak. But it makes you just to be human. And you share in the same struggle that Paul spoke of here, that Christ spoke of, and we need to learn to trust God. As I already mentioned, when you have anxious thoughts, that doesn't necessarily root it in a lack of faith. So regardless of the severity of the struggle, we can find comfort in the words of Paul. And he continues. Now he moves, we're still talking about not having anxious thoughts and not being anxious, but that comes from having proper thinking. It comes from having biblical thinking. And that's where Paul moves to next. That God will give us peace if we request it from him. But our responsibility is not only the prayer, it's learning how to think properly. It's aligning our thoughts biblically. It's aligning our thoughts with his thoughts. Look at verses 8 and 9 of our text this morning. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. When I was in seminary uh, taking one of my counseling courses, we were uh, given a textbook to read. It's called Telling Yourself the Truth by William Bacchus. It comes from a great biblical perspective. He was a, an old Lutheran out of the States, and it addresses the issue of untruths or misbeliefs that we tell ourselves. After all, who talks more to you than you? Right? Let's be honest. Who does more talking to you than yourself? 
And when you're not talking to yourself, we're listening and taking in messages all day long. And we forget that those messages are competing for us. They're competing for who we are and what we believe in. And in advertising alone, we are inundated with volumes and volumes of messages. For those that were alive in the 1970s and can remember it, the reports say that on average in the 1970s, a person would take in 500 to 1,600 ads a day. Okay? 500 to 1,600 ads a day. So that would be, there were radios, right? There were radios back then, right, Paul? Okay, just checking. Radios. He's not much older than me, but I tease him. Radios, newspapers. Everybody seemed to get a newspaper in the morning. Hamilton Spectator, right? Okay. And then you'd have three television stations, if you're lucky to get the American channels, that you could listen to. And you'd get the Windsor here, right? And you may get the London or the Wingham station. Is that right? For the people that have been around for a while. Okay. So you didn't have a lot of choice, but that's where you're, and maybe a billboard or two, maybe not in Forest. Does Forest have any billboards? I don't recall. There is one in 21. I'm going to have to check next time I come that way. Okay. Now let's move up to 2007. A market research firm estimated, but in 2007, the average person saw 5,000 ads per day. The latest, come 2021, research says that a person will encounter 6,000 to 10,000 ads per day. So if you do not think your mind is under attack, if you do not think that messages out there in the world are competing for you, you're believing a lie. There's lots of competition out there to, to feed messages, to shape who you are, what you believe, and what you buy. And depending how much time you spend in the media, you're probably pushing those 10,000 ads a day. Paul here, though, gives us some practical wisdom, some practical principles to help us think biblically. In the ESV, there are six whatevers. Now, we need to remember and, and not get caught up in the whatevers. I think that can throw us off track to what Paul's talking about. So it isn't like whatever. So don't think in those terms. I actually like how the New Living translates it. It does a better job using one word at the beginning. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on. I like that. Because that's what he's talking about. Not whatevers. It's fix your thoughts on. I don't usually use Greek words because I'm not very great at Greek. Um, but also I don't pronounce them very well. But I want to use one Greek word here. And besides, people usually fall asleep when you start using Greek words. But you'll understand what this Greek word, because you'll understand the sound of it. It's logizomai. That's the word think, logizomai. And if you think it sounds like logic, you're correct, because that's the same root word to which we get our word logic. We've all heard you become what you think. And I know you can find that saying repeated in one form or another again and again. It's nothing new. The Bible states this. Though some people think some self-help guru started it or Buddha or somebody like that. That's not where it came from. It is said in the Bible. Our doings are a result of our thinking. Jesus said it this way, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Please listen as I read. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd 
and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable that he just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through your stomach, then goes out to the sewer. By this, he was saying, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside you that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. See, Christianity is not a blind faith. It's a thinking faith. Christianity demands that we wrestle with the Word of God, that we wrestle with doctrine and teachings. It demands that we wrestle with all that we encounter daily. Listen as I read from 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have to think. We don't come to Christ blindly. Christianity is a thinking faith that can be reasoned. According to a Newsweek article from July 2020, the average human has 6,000 thoughts a day. I know some of you are thinking you don't have any thoughts a day. But they say the average has 6,000 thoughts in a day. And you and I need to take captive those thoughts. Because those thoughts will shape you. This is a battle for your mind. That is why the public education system in our country and south of the border and around the world has become a powder keg. The growth in homeschooling, the growth in Christian schooling, the growth in private schooling has expanded greatly over the last number of years as our culture has turned woke. It's a battle for the mind. What you think shapes who you are. Turn to verse 8 as we look at Paul's guidelines for what we are to think about. What is true, which is part of the armor of God. You'll recall from Ephesians 6.14, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. So we're to fix your thoughts on what is true, genuine, reliable, trustworthy, and valid. And where do we find truth? We find truth in the Word of God. As believers, we need to be discerning. A steady diet of trash and untruths will affect you. Again, I'll say, the world we live in today does not believe in absolute truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. If your truth isn't making you feel good, you better find another truth. In John chapter 17, 17, John writes this, Sanctify them in the truth. This is Christ speaking, actually praying. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we're to focus and think on truth as opposed to false, untrustworthy, fake, or imagined. We're to fix our eyes on what is honorable, worthy of respect, that which is noble, reputable, and dignified. So honorable as opposed to shameful, twisted, and foolish. We're to think on things that are just, right, upright, righteous. See, in the New Testament refers to this refers to God's standards, his actions expressed through the covenants, both old and new. Because both the Old and New Testament convey the character of God to us. And the Bible gives us instructions how God expects us to treat and to get along with one another. One, person, one people, type of people that hate me, I do not like schemers. And I do not like people that take advantage of others. I saw that again and again in my career. The devastation from schemers and people who, who just try to deceive others. 
Proverbs has a lot to say about that. So we need to think just and righteously, not wrong, sinful, or rebellious. Pure. We need to think on things that are pure, innocent, moral purity, chaste, modest. Ephesians 5.12, it's shameful even to talk about the things that the ungodly people do in secret. Now, I don't think there it's saying that we shouldn't be wise and be aware of what's happening in the world around us, because I think we need to protect ourselves and we need to protect our families, so we need some knowledge, but that doesn't mean that we become fixated on it. We don't become fixated on the impurities around us. So we want to think on pure, not tainted, coarse, smutty, or immoral. Then we're commanded to think on things that are lovely, pleasing, friendly, grateful, acceptable, as opposed to grotesque and gruesome. Lovely as opposed to distorted, ugly, or offensive. Commendable, things that are admirable, appealing, praiseworthy, reputable, laudable, not gossipy and slanderous or sarcastic. Paul could have gone on, but then he chooses to sum it up this way. If there is any excellence, if there is any worthy, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Not only are we to think or fix our thoughts on these things, Paul asks us to practice them. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. That verb there, practice, can be translated to do. So Paul's instruction is to think and to meditate on these things and then do them. Paul's not talking about uh, the power of positive thinking here. What he's talking about is aligning your thoughts with God and then building new habits, aligning your habits with Scripture. See, this is all part of working out your salvation, which we talked about earlier in the Philippians. It's the process of learning how to think right so that we can live right. Right thinking brings about right living. And Paul moves on from there. And he points to himself. All of which you have witnessed in my life, practice in your life. Verse 9 is a, is a summation of what Paul had said earlier in chapter 3, verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Now, Paul isn't pointing to himself as being perfect. We've already learned that. But the encouragement here is to strive after Christ as Paul strives after following Christ. See, there's much to be said with surrounding ourselves, not isolating ourselves from unbelievers, but surrounding ourselves with those that are growing and loving Christ and that are godly in character and that are striving themselves to be more like Christ. Anxiety can rob us of our peace. And the instruction here is practice. Practice these things. Put them into your life. And then from that will flow a peace. We trust in God. Look at the end of verse 9. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. As I read and as I reread that passage, I couldn't help but all of a sudden see this reciprocating uh, relationship with peace. Let me read our passage again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, so God's peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We take our requests to God, and the peace of God will be with us. Peace that's beyond human understanding or ability. Then we learn to think righteously, to think properly, to think godly, which results in right living. And what's the result? The God of peace being with us. That is relationship. When we think godly, we do godly. And the result is an intimate fellowship with God. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ in us now. There's an invitation here to know God's peace, but there's also an invitation here to know the God of peace. To walk in a way that there's a fellowship that is so sweet, so different from what we've ever experienced before as we walk side by side with the God of peace, as we take our concerns and prayer to him. And this isn't to make God out to be some sort of Santa Claus because that's not what's being said here. That's not what peace is about or taking our, our requests to him in prayer. As a matter of fact, if we start thinking right and then acting right and living right, it may actually change the way we pray. Peace, we could spend a lot of time on it. If you come back tonight, we are going to spend a lot of time on it. That's our word for tonight is peace. But some thoughts for you and I to wrestle with this morning. The profound truth here is that you and I are bombarded with many messages every day of our lives. On average, Canadians watch three hours of TV a day. One hour less than the Americans. Okay. Um, but it's not only the commercials that have messages for us. The television programming. Isn't that why they call it programming to begin with? They seek to teach you reasons. It seeks to teach you values. It has a message for you. So whether it's a movie or a TV or a clip on social media, they're, more, they're there more than just to entertain. And if you just think it's entertainment, you've bought into a lie. See, even today, many sports leagues have bought into the fact that they are socially responsible to carry a message to us. And they'll have messages and commercials with sports stars in between. They'll have patches on their arm. They have new policies that they spout off. So there is a message there for you and for those that watch. As I said, Canadians watch three hours of TV a day. 73% of Canadians spend three to four hours online a day. One out of eight Canadians spend more than eight hours a day online. All content carries messages. It carries a value that they're trying to convey to you. As believers in Christ, you and I need to think critically we need to be able to evaluate what those messages are. We need to do that for ourselves and for our children, for our teens. Because we need to be discerning, and they are not yet old enough to be discerning themselves. See, today's kids-friendly shows routinely address sex, gender fluidity, race, and other complex issues. And none of them are from a biblical point of view. And I did not that get that from a Christian reference. That whole line, today's kid-friendly shows routinely address sex, gender, fluidity, and race and other complex issues, that comes from a secular website. There's a battle for the mind and for our families. The same holds true for other forms of media. Books available at your children's school and at publicly funded libraries that's why I think it's great. A plug for the library for you, June. I think it's great you have a great library here. Because gone are the days, gone are the days of picking up Charlotte's Web and Little House on the Prairie 
That is not the norm anymore. Now, I don't want to be legalistic, so I don't want to tell you what you can watch, and I don't want to tell you what you can read. I just want to say, Scripture demands that if you're living right and follow the Lord and you claim to be a believer in Christ, that you need to be discerning on what you take in, what you allow into your life and into your home. And none of this really begins to touch on the dangers online for children and adults. I sat on a parent council between public school, which was Thames Valley District School Board, and a Catholic high school for 18 years. And I know one of the most favorite games that we found out the kids liked in the library to play online was a simple four clicks away from pornography. Four enticing clicks for a child to enter the dark world of pornography. And we had to fight for filters at the schools. I think you understand what I mean. We need to engage and to discern and, and, and not just to think passively. Not to just think in terms of, oh, I'm being entertained. We need to understand the message behind it. Another thing that's popular, and I already read it once, we need to beware when people use the term, we need to meditate. That's said at a lot of places. We need to learn how to meditate. Well, what do people mean when they say meditate? Often when people talk about meditation for a way to deal with anxiety or a way to deal with life, they're talking about what? Emptying your mind so there's nothing there. Biblical meditation never talks about emptying our mind. Rather, it talks about filling our mind. Scriptural meditation is different. It talks about filling our mind with proper thinking. It talks about filling our mind with God's Word and memorizing Scripture. It's a little like the, we need to be open-minded. Well, I have been told more than once that I am not open-minded. And I'm not. My mind isn't just open for anybody to shove anything in. I'm not closed-minded, but rather I evaluate everything. Everything has to stand before the truth. The truth is found in God's Word. It has to line up with that. And if it doesn't line up with His Word, it's rejected. That's where we need to be. I stated a question at the very beginning. Who is whispering in your ear? Paul ended this section of his letter by inviting people to model their life after him. I'm a very big believer in mentoring and discipling. I have godly men in my life that I look towards, that I ask questions, and I watch how they've lived their lives. Who's close enough to you to build into your life? Who are your heroes? Who do you disciple? And if you're a follower of Christ and you've matured, to whom are you building into? So I believe they're valid questions for the church. Mentoring not only sharpens the one being mentored, but it sharpens the one that is mentoring. Paul's, Paul's not here anymore. So we can't tell people, just, well, just watch Paul, see what he does. But God brings people into our lives that we can mentor some on a longer term, some on a shorter term and just for a season. But do you have someone that you look towards that mentors you, that builds into your life? And are you building into another's life? A growing, thriving church in a family mentors one another. They look to build into each other's lives. Not only carry the burden of anxiety, but encourage in the walk and the proper thinking. So think of that this afternoon. Do you need a mentor? I mean, the world's bought into this. Just go home this afternoon online and type in life coach. They're everywhere. Don't ask me to recommend you a life coach, though. Some of them I know all too well. Um, perhaps we need to co-opt that term and think in those terms for today's society. 
as we have godly men and women here that could be your life coach if you need somebody to speak into your life positively. And it'll be a reciprocal situation. Mary and Salou started to speak in the life of Zenny Sisko. Zenny was our Filipino friend that prayed with her every week. That relationship was beneficial for Zenny and it was beneficial for Marion. Zenny won't mind I use her name. And then Zenny builds into other people's lives. Even as a retired lady today, she builds into other people's lives. So ask that to yourself. In our times of anxiety, in our times of walking through this life, do we have someone who can build into us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. And fathers, we think of our lives and the busyness of them, of a world that doesn't believe in truth, in a world that has turned right to wrong and wrong to right. Help us to stand steadfast. Help us to realize that we need to align our thinking with Scripture to properly think. And this verses here in Philippians is a great place to start. And Father, for those that are in the church this morning that think that they would like or need someone, help them to reach out, whether it's to somebody in the church that they admire already, or whether it's a tap on the shoulder to one of the elders saying, I'd like someone to mentor me. Or for the ladies, perhaps it's a, a tap on June's shoulder to say, I'd like someone to mentor. Or maybe there are people here this morning that would like to mentor others and to be able to build in and encourage a young life. Father, help us to again and again come to you with our anxieties and to cast them upon you, to understand that you care for every aspect of our lives and that there we can find peace. And by thinking properly, we can have fellowship, intimate fellowship with the God of peace. We lift this up to you in Christ's precious name. Amen.